Uh, years ago, there was a Sunday school class, and in the Sunday school class, the teacher is teaching the kids all about how God created everything. And little Johnny's there, and little Johnny's just mesmerized. You mean God created Adam? And the teacher's like, yeah, God created Adam. And then God created his wife, Eve. He took one of her ribs, one of his ribs, took one of his ribs and made his wife, Eve. And little Johnny was mesmerized by it. Well, later that week, Johnny is in his bedroom. He's just crying, crying. His mom comes in, little Johnny, what's wrong? What's wrong? And Johnny says, I've got a stomachache. I think I'm having a wife. You know, it's funny where sometimes we hear these little snippets of faith and we kind of get it wrong, right? We don't quite understand how these snippets work out. In fact, this last week I was watching a movie and I'm actually not going to tell you the name of the movie because it was a bad movie. And when I say bad, I don't mean it was like graphic and it had like bad language and stuff. It was bad, like it was just poor acting. It just was one of those like C-class movies. I don't know why Amazon Prime always recommends those like horrible movies to me, but I was watching one of these dumb movies and uh, in this movie, there's this loudmouth guy, this loudmouth guy who is just dogging on Christians. He's saying, oh, Christians, all they care about is the future. All the Christians talk about is someday they're going to go to heaven and it's going to make everything all right. And he said, these Christians have no concern with what's happening right around them in their world and, and what's wrong in our world. He said, for example, all these Christians go on these missions trips to these third world countries. And you've got all these kids that are starving. You've got families that are struggling to survive. And what are the Christians trying to do? Here's a Bible. Let me tell you how you can go to heaven. He said, how come those Christians do that when everything around them is suffering? Is that what Christianity is all about? That we get a get out of hell free card? We get this little card that says, when we die, we get to go to heaven. Is that what Christianity is all about? Some, some future gift that doesn't actually have power in our present. On a day like today, Easter, I recognize there are all sorts of levels of faith in this room today. Some of you guys, uh, you are mature Christians. You've been following Jesus a long time, and you're like, where else would I be on Easter? I'd be at church. Some of you are, are, are infant Christians, you're new Christians, you're baby Christians, and you're excited to be here on Easter to celebrate this resurrection, and that is pretty exciting. I know some of you, you're here because you've got that crazy religious family member, that crazy religious friend that keeps inviting you to come to church, and you finally relented because they keep hounding you. You don't have to raise your hand, but I know some of you are here today. I recognize that. I know there are some of you here today because you're like, you know what? I like God. I'm, I'm not living for him, but I, I like God. And if God's going to take role, he's going to do it on Easter, right? So I'll be here because I know God's taking role. Hey, yeah, that's right. Kevin was here. Easter 2023. Check the box. I was there. But let's just be honest. I know that there are some here who have a hard time believing in God. Hard time putting their faith in him because there are things in your life, things in your past. You've had hurts. You've had hangups. You've had sufferings that you've had to endure. And it's hard for you to truly trust God because there's this disconnect from your experience and what you've experienced from what you hear about this God who's good and this God who loves you. And these two things are a disconnect. How can this God be good when I've suffered the way that I have? And this becomes a reason why you have a hard time believing and trusting in God. 
And I also recognize there are probably some in this room today where life is just hard right now. I mean, it's great that Jesus rose from the grave all those years ago. It's great that someday in the future we can go to heaven. But today, if you're being honest, you're just trying to struggle and survive through today, let alone make it through tomorrow. You don't need a hope for the future. You need a hope for today. Listen, whatever reason you are here today, wherever you find yourself in that level, I just want to say, welcome. We're glad you are here today. And let me just put my cards on the table. And here's what I want to accomplish today is in light of the resurrection of Jesus, I believe that today, I believe today that Jesus wants to untangle and redeem our past as well as empower and give hope into our present reality, whatever that is for you today. The story that Samantha read for us this morning was from John chapter 11. John chapter 11 is where Jesus interacts with, with this family, Mary and Martha and Lazarus. These are siblings. Jesus knew this family. They were close. He loved them. They loved him. They had this close relationship. There was a commitment between Jesus and this family and this family and Jesus. Around that time, Jesus and his uh, disciples are doing ministry in Jerusalem. Well, and, and sure enough, this is, might be surprising to you. Some people didn't like what Jesus had to say. And so people in Jerusalem, they tried to kill Jesus, but Jesus is like, hey, it's not my time to die. So Jesus leaves Jerusalem and goes out to the countryside and he's doing ministry in the countryside. He's out there and he gets word that Lazarus is sick. And when you say sick, I'm not talking like <coughs> COVID sick. I'm talking like this is bad. He is really, really, really bad sick. And Mary and Martha are like, what are we going to do? We're watching our brother suffer. What are we going to do? Oh, that's right. We know Jesus. And so they say to messenger to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus, the guy you love, one of us, he's sick. Would you come and heal him? I mean, you're the son of God. You've got the power to do all things. You can heal. So they call for Jesus. Would you come and, and heal our brother? Jesus sends a messenger back and says, listen, Mary, Martha, this sickness is not going to lead to death, but rather to glorify your father in heaven. And rather than going and healing Lazarus, Jesus stays and does ministry for another couple of days. Eventually, word comes back to Jesus that Lazarus has actually died. What? Didn't Jesus say that wasn't going to happen? Lazarus dies. Jesus gets word. And now that Lazarus is dead, now he tells the disciples, hey, let's go back to Jerusalem. Let's go see Lazarus. And that's where our story picks up. John 11, verse 17. It says, when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus was in the tomb already for four days. He's been dead for a couple of days now. Verse 19, there were many Jews who came to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. But when Martha heard that Jesus was coming. She went out and met him. But Mary stayed home. And Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now, I know for many of us, we've heard this story a number of times. We know how the story goes. We know how the story plays out. But what I want to ask you to do today is think about this story, not from hearing it before, but think about it from the very first time hearing this story. Imagine yourself in the shoes of Mary and Martha. Mary and Martha, just a couple days ago, their brother was healthy. He was vibrant. We assume that he was, a, he was a young man, a young adult, right? 
He was healthy and vibrant, and they watch him get this sickness. And again, this is an ugly sickness. This is a bad sickness. Can you imagine watching the vomiting, watching the high fever, watching him writhing in bed in agony? Can you imagine that? Can you picture it? Someone you love suffering with that kind of sickness? The sisters are like, we don't know what to do. We'll call for Jesus. We ask Jesus to come, and they're waiting for Jesus to show up to help. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't show up. We sent the messenger. It's been days. Jesus, where are you? He doesn't show up. Mary and Martha, they watch their brother slowly die. They watch him labor to breathe, grasping for breath. Before you get that final gurgle as he dies, they would have watched that whole thing play out. Can you imagine the motion of that? If you put yourself in those shoes, can you blame Martha? When Jesus comes, what does she say? Jesus, where were you? Where, where, if you would have been here, my brother would be alive. Where were you? So let's just be honest. I would say that for many people, your past experience is one of the reasons why we have a hard time to put our faith and our trust and our belief in God. Because then we look at our life, we look at our experiences, and we think, how can God be a loving God when I consider all that I've had to experience in my life? Right? There are some of us where if we look at our life, we're like, I've done some bad stuff. I've done some stuff that I regret, that haunts me. I feel like I've done some stuff that is unforgivable. I've hurt some people in the way I shouldn't have done. I've done some bad things. There's no way. There's no way that God could actually love me. I mean, sure, God gives grace to other people who haven't done a stuff as bad as me, but for me, there's no way that God's grace could cover this. And there's others in this room today considering the trauma they've experienced, the abuse, the neglect, suffering, the darkness that has been real in their life? How can we not ask that same question that Martha did? God, where were you? God, if you're supposed to be loving, God, if you're supposed to be good, where were you? Where were you when this horrible thing happened to me? Where were you when this happened? God, if you are for me and not against me, then why didn't you show up? There's a lot of us that our past becomes a hindrance to putting our faith and belief in God. And we feel that complaint with Martha. Jesus, where were you? Jesus, where were you? Now, I don't want to trivialize your past, but I think this is important. Look back in, in John 11, verse 4. It says this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. It is for the glory of God, so that God will be glorified through it. You see the word it twice in that verse. What does it refer to? I tell you what, it's not going to be about the resurrection. It's about his sickness. 
Jesus is saying, listen, this sickness is going to be used for the glory of God. And I know we, we, we see this term glory of God and we're like, what does that actually mean? I mean, this is some religious term, the glory of God. The glory of God simply refers to showing how awesome God is. It shows his power, his majesty, his grace, how God redeems broken things. It shows us who God is. This is the glory of God. It shows us how marvelous and wonderful he is. And what, what Jesus is trying to say is I'm in control of this circumstance. I'm in control of it. Lazarus is sick, but it's a part of my plan. It's a part of my plan so I can display my power, my might, my majesty, so I can show you who I am. And I know, I, I don't know about you, but I hear that. And I'm like, that sounds great. Like, okay, God, you want to show how great you are, but why do you have to do it like this? You ever thought about that? God, why do you display your glory through things like this? Why does God lead us to a place where we are broken, where we have no strength left, where we have no more wisdom or power? Why does God lead us to places where we have so little hope, just like this? I'd say it's because most of us are glory amnesiacs. We are skilled at forgetting how good God is. We are so easy to, to forget who God is and what he's like and how powerful he is. And so what do we do? Instead of giving glory to God, we give glory to ourselves. Hey, look how great I am. Look at all I've accomplished. And God's like, no, I did that. I'm the one that's in control. And I think God is here to say, hey, I'm going to bring you to the point that you're broken so you have nowhere to look other than to me. Because we're glory amnesiacs. We take the glory off of God and put it onto ourselves. Look how great I am. Look at all I've accomplished. Jesus says, no, this sickness is so that you can see the glory of God. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know how powerful I am, how, how, how marvelous I am, how good and loving I am. So that you can know my glory. And Jesus simply says, just watch. Just watch and trust. Now again, Mary and Martha, they don't know how the story's gonna end. There's crying and mourning, there's grieving. Mary's been sitting in the house for days, refusing to come out. When you've been through the, the death of a loved one, you can put yourself in Mary's shoes and understand how she is feeling. You know, sometimes when people are struggling, uh, when they're suffering, you know, sometimes we have those religious platitudes, those cliches. You know, like, like something bad happens and we're like, oh crap, you know, this bad thing happened. I need to sound spiritual right now. So we throw some spiritual saying out. We don't really believe it. It's just kind of like sounds good, right? I think it's kind of what, 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 what Martha's about to do. You know those sayings that we're talking about? You know, like when, when God closes the door, he opens a window. Like what a cool saying that really is. Is that, is that is really? We, we, we say that? We say things like God works in mysterious ways. God helps those who help themselves. Like these are really religious sayings, but they kind of are easy for us to say to sound religious without really much meaning or belief or trust in them. I think that's what Mary, what Martha is about to say. It says in verse 21, Mary said, Lord, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But listen, she says, but I know whatever you ask God, God will give to you. 
Let me tell you, I don't think that's a statement of faith. I think that is simply a religious platitude, a a cliche. She is struggling in the moment. She's looking at the circumstances to say, look, I don't have much hope. My brother is dead. I'm suffering. I don't see what some uh, resurrection is going to do in the future. Like, I'm struggling right here, right now. But Jesus is here, so i got to say something religious, right? Uh, Here's my religious thing. Whatever you ask God, of course he'll give to you. Look what it says next. Jesus said to her in verse 23, your brother will rise again. And she responds and says, I know he'll arise again on the resurrection of the last day. Martha knows her theology. She's like, yes, Jesus, I know he's going to rise again. Someday down the road, when you take us to heaven and everybody's resurrected, yes, we're going to see him again. Eventually, Jesus, that's great. That's awesome. Down the road, I'll see him again. But Jesus, what about right now? What about my pain right now? What about my suffering right now? Jesus, I don't need a hope for the future. I need hope right now. I'm struggling right now. Where's my help in the present? And I love this because this is the key. I mean, here's Martha. She's struggling. God, where were you in the past? If you were here days ago, my brother would be alive. Now she's in the moment. She's hurting and struggling. And Jesus is about to drop this truth bomb that's going to untangle her past and empower her present. Listen to verse 25. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, though he dies, he will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus says, Martha, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha, Martha. I am the resurrection and the life. I'm not some future event. No, I'm the answer to what's happened in the past. I'm the hope in the present right here, right now, available to you in the moment. I'm the resurrection and the life. Jesus says, I'm the solution to the problem you are facing. I'm the solution to broken pasts. I'm the solution to those religious cliches. I'm the future from a hundred years away who's been brought into the here and now to redeem what's happened in the past to empower you in the present. You know the great thing about Jesus? He doesn't just say these things though. He's actually going to show it to her. See, look down with me a couple of verses to verse 38. John eleven thirty-eight. 38, it says, Deeply moved, Jesus came to the tomb, and there was a stone lying against it. And Jesus said, Remove the stone. And Martha, the dead man's sister, said, Lord, there's a stench. He's been dead for four days. Let me give you a little Easter gift. Uh, the ESV says there was a stench, but actually in the King James Version, the word is stinketh right? Stinketh is a biblical word. She says, he, it, it will stinketh. That's, a, that's just a funny word in the Bible. I, I, that has nothing to do with the message. I just thought it was really funny to see stinketh in the Bible. Martha is like, Jesus, you're too late. You, you had your shot, Jesus. Had you been here, my brother would be alive, but he's been dead four days now, and if we move the stone, it will stinketh, Jesus. It's going to stink. Again, this is where we go back to that religious cliche. Remember when Martha said, Jesus, whatever you ask God, God will give to you. 
Jesus, whatever you ask God, God will give to you. And now Jesus is there and Jesus says, move the stone. And what does she say? Oh, we can't do that because it'll stinketh. That's not a, that's not a statement of faith. This is her doubting. This is her saying, Jesus, I'm suffering in the moment. I have a hard time believing you can do anything here. Verse 40, Jesus said to her, didn't I tell you if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? So they removed the stone and Jesus raised his eyes and he prayed to his father and said, thank you that you have heard me. I know you always hear me. Because of this crowd standing here, I said this so that they may believe that you have sent me. And after he prayed, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, bound hand and foot with linen strips. What do you think happened when Lazarus hopped out of that tomb? You ever thought about that? What happens to all the grieving and the mourning and the tears and the heart? What happens to all of that when Lazarus comes hopping out of it? Doesn't it just vanish in a moment? I mean, can you picture being in Mary Martha's shoes? What is all that sorrow and loss and heartache? Where does all that fear go? What about all those, all those accusations? Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother would be alive. What about all the hurt? Doesn't it all vanish when Lazarus hops out of that tomb, resurrected from the dead? And this is where, for Mary and Martha, this resurrection completely untangles the past. It redeems the past. Jesus was not indifferent. Jesus was not absent. Jesus was not unloving. No, he cared. In fact, a couple of verses earlier, it says Jesus wept. He saw them grieving and he wept with them because he had such a deep connection. No, no. He knew that the past was an opportunity to glorify God to help them to believe that he is who he said he is. And not only that, for Mary and Martha, this resurrection wasn't just some hope for the future, that someday they'd be reunited with the brother. No, in that moment, Jesus brought, he brought hope into the present, into that moment, in the here, and now he showed them that there's this resurrection power that is alive today, that is alive today and available to us and lives inside of us. Now, I know some of you are saying, well, wait a second, pastor, like we're at church on Easter and we're talking about Lazarus raising from the dead. That's not what it's about. Of course, we're not here to celebrate Lazarus raising from the dead because he was going to die again. No, we're here today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus where sin and Satan and death and hell were defeated and conquered, which is why the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus it's the greatest event in all of history. In fact, I think when we look at this story and trying to understand what is this story trying to teach us, it's this, that the resurrection of Jesus is not just a future hope, that someday we'll go to heaven when we die. It is that, but it's more than just that. The resurrection of Jesus redeems our past and empowers our present. The resurrection of Jesus is a hope for the future. It is a hope for our past. It is a hope in our present. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, 
Like, yes, the resurrection secures our future. Heaven is real. Do you know that? Heaven is real. And there's coming a day that I look forward to going to heaven. You know, the book of uh, 1 Corinthians 15, it talks about the resurrection body. Does anybody look forward to having a resurrected body? I mean, do you ever, do you ever get out of bed in the morning and just getting out of bed, you're sore? Like, I can't wait for that to be done. I cannot wait for that day to be passed. I'm excited because I read it from the book of Revelation when God's going to make all things new. I cannot wait for that day. No more tears, no more sorrow, no more pain, no more cats, no more 49er fans. Like, praise God. I can't wait for that day. But the resurrection of Jesus is more than just a future hope. It's more than just a historical fact. It's more than just a theological confession. The resurrection of Jesus is more than just a celebration. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He said, believe in me now. Believe in me down now and you will die, but you believe in me now and you will live. You can live. That we are meant to have this resurrection faith. We have the, this resurrection power that's available to us to live inside of us now, not just in the future. But the resurrection power comes into us now. And I'll tell you what, when we have that resurrection power inside of us, it makes all the difference in the world. In fact, the apostle Paul said in Galatians chapter two, he said, I've been crucified with Christ is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live now by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You know what that means? No longer just me living my life on my own. Now I have the resurrection power I have Jesus risen from the grave and living inside of me. We talk about life. That is life. This resurrection power inside of me. You know what happens when that resurrection power comes inside of us? He begins to take those hard things, those things that would lead us to the point of saying, God, where were you? God, I thought you were good. God, I thought you were loving. God takes those things and begins to redeem them and restore them. In fact, in just a few minutes, right back here, we're going to be able to have a couple of baptisms. Deb Funkhauser, Enrique Cervantes. My favorite thing about baptisms is I love hearing the testimonies. Hey, this is what God has done in my life. Here's how God has made a difference. And I think about this church, Restoration Church. We celebrate 10 years this May, 10 years of a church. And I think of the amount of testimonies we've heard. Addictions that have been set free. Depravity that has been forgiven. Shameful things that have been done that have been healed. People that have endured unbearable suffering and hardship at the hands of other people. You know what happens when those people experience that resurrection power? You know what those things become? those shameful things, the depravity, the suffering, those things become trophies of God's grace. 
Those things become visible expression of the glory of God, how God redeems, restores, heals, overcomes. That is because his resurrection power, it redeems our past. It entangles our past. It helps us to see the glory of God, that our life becomes a testimony. Look what God can do. Can take the broken things and and turn them into something beautiful. But not only that, this resurrection power, it empowers our present. Or it's no longer, it's no longer me striving against all the problems in my life. It's not me versus all the problems I have at work. It's not me versus my temptation and my addictions. It's not me versus my anger. It's not me versus my conflict with my kids or my marriage. I have the power of Jesus living inside of me. So when I face difficulty, when I face struggle, I don't have to be worried. I don't have to be anxious. I don't have to say to myself, man, I don't know if I have what it takes because I have the resurrection power inside of me. The same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of me so I can face those things with a different confidence, knowing I'm not alone, that I have Jesus in me. And if he can raise Jesus from the grave, certainly God can show up in my work. Certainly God can show up in my marriage. Certainly God can show up in my struggle and my addiction. That is the resurrection power. You know, I was asked this past week, One of my friends said to me, hey, where would you be if Jesus hadn't saved you? Where would you be if Jesus had not saved you? As I look back at my family tree, and I don't mean to dog my parents and my grandparents and my family tree, but I can't tell you how different my life has become because of Jesus. My family tree is full of drug addicts, prison sentences, abandonment. My family tree brings me shame when I think about it. My childhood is scarred because of that. If I'm being honest, there's parts of my adult life that has been scarred because of those experiences. But I tell you what, when I came to the saving knowledge that the tomb was empty, when I believed that Jesus was the resurrection and the life, I can't tell you how my life has been transformed. For that broken past has been redeemed. I've seen the grace of God overcome decades of generational sin. Not because I'm anything great, because the power of Jesus, the resurrection. I'm an idiot. I got nothing to bring to the table. It is what Jesus has done in me and through me. And not only has he redeemed that broken part of my past, but I see him working in my present, helping me figure out how to live life, how to be a a, a husband, a father, how how to work, how, how to deal with my struggles, how to love and raise my kids, how to live with purpose. That is what the resurrection power does. It heals our past. It transforms our present to lead us into the future. And I'll be honest, I'm here today. I'm up here today 
because I want you to have this. I want you to have this resurrection power that redeems the messiest of backgrounds, that empowers and gives hope in the present to lead us into the future. The question is how? How do we get the resurrection power? Well, Jesus said this. He said in verse 26, everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. He said, do you believe this? Martha said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God. You know, this is what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. Because Christianity is not about what you do. It's not about you jumping through the hoops to be a good person. It's not about you trying to do enough to make God pleased with you or proud of you. Simply, he says, believe and live in me. It is about us trusting in him, putting our hope in him. This morning, I want to invite you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. This morning, I want you to experience that resurrection power. I want you to experience that power that can redeem the ugliest of pasts, bring beauty from the ashes. I want you to experience a power that turns graves into gardens. I want you to experience the power of the resurrection, not just some future hope in heaven, but I want you to experience that power in the here, in the now. That God would be present in your life, that you'd have that assurance that he will never leave you nor forsake you, that he will walk with you through whatever it is you are facing. Listen, if you are ready to receive that resurrection power today, Mind you, it's not a matter of you cleaning up your life. Not a matter of you trying harder. No matter about fixing some things. Not about making you religious. Jesus said it's about belief. Belief that he is the resurrection and the life.